Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club and this is your show. The season might be long over, but we're back with a very special Blue Moon podcast as this summer marks the end of an era. Sergio Aguero became the last of the 2012 team to leave Manchester City when he said his goodbyes in May, and that means in Pep Guardiola's five terms, six legends of that side have all moved on. In this special episode, we're going back to August 2016 to reflect on the careers of six of the key members of that title-winning side. I'm David Mooney. I'm joined by City fans Dan Burke. Hello. Chris Higginbottom. Hello there. And Richard Burns. Hello. Richard, I'm going to start with you on this one because uh, we've talked about this for, um, well, pretty much every season uh, that we've been doing the podcast now. Um, how's it been watching uh, each one of each one of, of your heroes of that, of that first title winning side leaving, you know, year by year? I think um, <laughs> it's been genuinely quite hard because it's it's brought with it like with each one that goes, it's it's like dominoes going, um, which is nothing like dominoes at all. Because I was going to say, because you know that the next one's going, and that isn't how dominoes work. But <laughs> you, you, like when Zabaleta went, you knew like, Yaya probably didn't have much longer. And then when Yaya went, like you're looking at the rest of the team and thinking, well, company's situation, he could sort of go at any time. Um, and David Silva, we always knew, had committed to 10 years. And Aguero was, was like, obviously, he's of an age where he was clearly going to be ready for something soon. And, and apparently, he wasn't quite ready for it yet. But there was always a chance with his injuries and his, his body starting to let him down. Um, and, and as the season went on where we could see that he, he probably wasn't going to get offered a new contract... Um, it's the dread that comes with it, like knowing how horrible it was being at the presentations for some of the other legends, knowing that Aguero was going to get one, and he's the last one. Like that, that team is done now. It's it's consigned to an absolutely beautiful part of our history, but that is it. It's in the past. This, yeah, it, it's beautiful because of what they've given us, but it's it's also really really sad. Yeah, Chris, is it? Have you found it harder as each one's gone? I have, to be honest, and I think. Uh... Richard hit upon something there, the, the sort of dread. It is like a an existential thing, isn't it? You're like it's a, like a reminder of your mortality almost. These this dream team of your the prime of your life is slowly like you know fading away. It's I feel a bit also like a bit like Marty McFly, you know, when he's holding the photo <laughs> and you just see people slowly fade. You're like no, and uh, there's just nothing we can do about it, unfortunately. I've not yeah. got a DeLorean on me, so yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's unfortunate, but uh, you know, it's inevitable, isn't it? You just got to accept uh, accept it and be thankful for the memories uh, rather than lamenting that uh, it's drawing to a close. I guess. Yeah, uh, Dan, which one did you find the hardest? 
I would say I actually found Zabaleta the hardest. I mean, it doesn't get any easier, but I'm kind of getting used to it, I think. I mean, Zabaleta, as I've uh, said on the podcast before, was the captain of my heart. I love that man, still love him. You know, he'd always be one of my favourite City players. You know, him and Sean Goat are probably my two favourite players of all time, just because of the sort of endeavour and the way they embedded themselves in the club culture and and the humility that they had and all that kind of thing. So I was really sad when he left, I remember. Um, Obviously, the David Silva one was particularly sad because he he, he sort of left with nobody there to see it and it was a really um, unfitting end to his City career. And, you know, I just hope that we'll uh, we'll get a chance to properly say goodbye to him and properly say goodbye to Aguero and have a testimonial or or some sort of celebration of them both at the club. I'm I'm sure they've got something like that planned for uh, when this pandemic stuff all dies down. Yeah, I can't decide if they should go head to head, you know, because I, I, I just, I, I wonder if they, should, if they deserve like a, a full crowd each, or if they deserve to have it all in one. You know, I, you know what I mean. Do we even have to have a match? Can't we just have some beers or something like? Let's do that. Yeah, a single one. There's only tables on the pitch. Yeah, there's only one certain player who's got to be an Aguero's testimonial, and it's Phil Jones. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, well, in this show, we're going to go uh, through each of those uh, players that have left under Guardiola one by one. Uh, and the first of the 2012 legends to leave under Pep was Joe Hart. It was in the first transfer window of the season in 2016, and I looked back at his City career that September. <laughs> When Stuart Pearce signed a young up-and-coming goalkeeper from Shrewsbury in 2006, few could have known what impact he would have on the team. Joe Hart had only just turned 19 when the then-cash-strapped Blues paid £100,000 for his services, and he came in as third choice behind Nicky Weaver and Andreas Isaacson. Injuries to both, though, meant he made his debut sooner than expected in a nil-nil draw with Sheffield United that October. He explained to the club website years later that Weaver had told him to get ready on the morning of the game. He texts me on the morning saying, listen mate, I'm not ready. I think you'll play today. <laughs> well, I'd played plenty, but but not that. Like, like never the Premier League. I've never even thought about playing Premier League. Played Sheffield United here, nil nil. And uh, the very very little I had to do, I was atrocious. But we got I got, I got a nil nil out of it. After that appearance, Hart battled for the number one jersey under new manager Sven Goran Eriksson. He spent a short time behind both Isaksen and Kasper Schmeichel, but eventually the Swede picked him as his first choice. When Eriksson was replaced by Mark Hughes, though, Hart came under pressure. He moved to newly promoted Birmingham on a year-long loan after the Welshman brought in Shea Given as his number one. But it was the next change of manager that really benefited Hart. Hughes was sacked in favour of Roberto Mancini while the goalkeeper was away, and when he returned, he started the first game of the season. It was the first memorable Hart showcase, too, as he produced a string of fantastic saves to preserve a nil-nil draw with Tottenham. Reporting on Sky Sports, Chris Kamara was impressed. He's whacked this ball and he's readjusted, having thumped the ball out in the first place, to dive to his right and to make that save. Brilliant, but the best was yet to come. Another corner, this time cleared out further than the 18-yard line to Asura Kotto, who came running in from the left-back position, hit it on the volley, it took a deflection off Yara Toure and was just heading into the top left-hand corner. Now, goalkeepers who make saves like this are absolutely brilliant. It was right in the top corner, Jeff, left hand out, and he tipped it over the crossbar. What a save. That game kick-started Hart's City career and under Mancini he continued to improve. He played a vital part in the team that won the FA Cup that season and then the Premier League the year after. However, he saved his best for the Champions League. Andy Hampson is a sports journalist with the Press Association. I think my favourite one would probably be the, the Dortmund one. I, I thought he was just 
absolutely brilliant. I mean, it seemed that there was nothing um, he wasn't going to keep out that night. Obviously, he did concede one, but um, he was absolutely brilliant. Kept City in the game. It could have been, you know, it could have been any number they could have lost. And then, obviously, they, they got the equaliser in the end. David McDonnell from the Daily Mirror echoes those thoughts. The game against Barcelona in the new Camp when he was outstanding. Um, you know, City lost by I think was it two one I think. Uh, uh, it could have been an even more a bigger margin, you know, but for Joe's heroics. And I also remember the game here against, I think it was Borussia Dortmund, uh, when they um, tore, tore City apart and uh, and Joe was like a man mountain there in the goal. Ian Irving from Premier League Productions says Hart's display in the new Camp in 2015 was noticed by one of his opponents too. He impressed Lionel Messi, so that's good enough for me. Uh, I can't remember how many exactly saves he made that day, but it, that evening in, in Barcelona, but it, it felt like more than 10 and maybe as many as 20 was absolutely incredible that day. The independence Mark Ogden says Hart has had his issues more recently though. In terms of his, his big game mentality we've seen it against, in the Champions League he can do it but then with England in the summer it seems to get to him a little bit so at, at 29 those flaws should be out of his game by now. It's undeniable that Hart has recovered from setbacks while at City. Having been loaned to Birmingham in his formative years, he re-established himself as number one. And when his form dipped in the early stages of Manuel Pellegrini's reign, he found himself on the bench behind Costel Pantillamon. Andy Hampson was impressed with how Hart's regained his place in the team. It did seem to, to give him the, uh, the the kick up the backside that was required. Uh, Costel Pantillamon uh, came in at the time. Um, did, did reasonably well, but, but you know, Joe eventually got his place back and, and didn't look back for a while. He, he, you know, it really did uh, have the desired effect. And then I think when Willie Caballero arrived as well, I think that did uh, help him kick on a little bit more. However, Mark Ogden thinks this hurdle is just one too many for the goalkeeper. He started to throw up Willie Caballero convincingly and uh, under Mark Hughes. You know, he, he, had, he had to persuade, convince Mark Hughes and Shea Given was around, but he, he fought, he overcame that one as well. So. Yeah, I think he's, he's had adversity, he's, over, he's overcoming at City, but I just think this on this occasion it's just too big. You, what Pep wants, Pep gets, and on this occasion he's got what he wants. The chief football writer at the Independent says he was surprised Guardiola looked at the goalkeeping situation when he arrived. He does have his flaws, but so does every keeper in the Premier League. Petr Cech's not great with his feet. You know, Hugo Lloris, not great with his feet. David De Gea still has his moments where he lets one through his, his hands. You know, Sam Mignolet, not great. You know, I, th- I thought Hart, in terms of the full package, was as, as good as any, really. There, yeah, there are flaws, like I say, down to his left, and sometimes he gets a bit worked up for big games. But Ian Irving thinks that Guardiola's earned his reputation and, therefore, the club's trust. City have made a lot of effort over the years to bring Guardiola in. Now he's here, you can't really doubt his decision-making. He's had an incredible career so far, and if he believes the right thing for Manchester City to be successful is to replace Joe Hart with a new goalkeeper, Claudio Bravo, then I think you have to support him in that. David McDonnell explains the big reason why Hart was never in Guardiola's plans. If you look back at Guardiola's career, he's always wanted a keeper who's, who's really adept with their feet, uh, and you have to say that you know Joe, that's probably the weakest part of his game. A fantastic shot stopper, you know, he's got better in the air in terms of coming for crosses, which was an Achilles heel as well. Um, but he's never been really good with his feet. You know, he likes to kick the ball out and he's great at kicking at distances. But as Guardiola was saying to us today, he likes to build from the back. He doesn't like a keeper to hoof the ball forward. All that said, though, it doesn't make the decision to move the goalkeeper on any easier for the supporters. The City fans have enjoyed a great relationship with Hart during his 10-year stay at the club, evidenced by the reception that he was given during what's likely to be his last ever appearance for the Blues. After the 1-0 win over Stour Bucharest, he was clearly fighting back the tears. This is a special place for me. I don't think there's, any, there's never been any secret made of that. Um, it's a place I love to be, but um, you know, situations occur in football. and you know, We're men and we get on with it, but um, tonight was really nice and it was 
like I told you, it's a special place for me and I really appreciate the people of Manchester City and it turns out they appreciate me, so that's a nice feeling. While a loan move to Torino does leave the possibility of a return to first-team action at City open for Hart, even the most optimistic of supporters would have to say it's probably not going to happen. He leaves the club after 134 clean sheets in his 347 matches, having played a large part in two Premier League title-winning campaigns and with an FA Cup winner's medal as well. Need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. So that was a look at Joe Hart's City career. Um, Richard, that uh, that final game, the Bucharest game, uh, were you there when, when everything was, uh, when we knew effectively that it was going to be Hart's final game? I was, yeah. It was... What, um, oh, sorry, I was going to say, what was the atmosphere like? Um, I remember it being, it, it was definitely sort of a, a mournful thing because we knew, I think, if am I remembering right, that he was made captain for the night? I think he was, um, yeah. yeah. And, and we, we knew that the game had already been put to bed in the first leg, so there was nothing riding on it, um, sort of, there were no stakes in the match as such. Um, so you knew that you were going to basically Joe Art's farewell party. Um, and my memory of it is that it was... I would say probably quite celebratory of him. I think there were a lot of people at the time disagreed with the decision to let him go, but I don't think that was really... Um, that came out in the atmosphere as such. I think it was just a celebration of what a, um, a once great goalkeeper had, had contributed to City. And he was he was one of the players who had a bit of a, an extra connection with the fans. And so he got... Um, you know, the, the sort of the right thing was done by him in the end, as as difficult as it must have been for him, and how I mean, oh, it's gone since then. Um, the city, city sort of did right by him and giving him that game and letting the fans sing his name for the majority of that ninety minutes. Do you think Pep feels bad about it? I was going to ask that. Yeah. Sorry. It's your no, well, show, it's, it, no, it's, it's absolutely <laughs> fine because it's uh, it's a it's a nice uh, it, it is a it is a real good point because. Um, I mean, what do you think, Chris? Because he, he always well, mentions Hart yeah, in the list of legends, always, doesn't he? He's always the first one on the name check roll call in terms of people who have put the club on the map in the modern era. He always says people like Joe Hart, and it's always like, oh yeah, he, he keeps saying Joe Hart. Is he? Is there a twinge of guilt, perhaps? Because Joe Hart's career after City, um, you know, kind of. Not the best, let's say. No, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it di- it certainly didn't reach anywhere near the heights that we, it did with us. And there were some really high heights. I mean, you know, he was praised by Messi that time. He, he kept teams out single-handedly at times, and he was a massive part of of the success. And I don't know. It's like, but he also definitely is not the keeper that Edison is, and he's not the linchpin at the back that we need. Like He's not a midfielder playing in net, basically, slinging those quarterback passes up the pitch. He couldn't do that. 
And um, yeah, it's like, similarly to the way he doesn't name Chet Yaya, which always freaks me out a bit. <clears throat> Yeah, he uh, seems like he does have a little <laughs> tinge of guilt with the with the Joe Hart thing, the, the way he's so vociferous about him. Yeah, Dan, it's um, I mean, Chris said there as well that he's not Edison, and um, I, I even it, we knew at the time that Guardiola wanted a goalkeeper who could play out from the back, and and just because it didn't work for Claudio Bravo in that first season doesn't make it the wrong decision to move Joe Hart on, does it? That's that that was the hard thing to accept, I guess, at the time. No, it was a bit it was a big shock, wasn't it? I remember because I remember when Guardiola first came in, and there was there was question marks over a few players in the squad. I think even David Silva, there was some talk at, at the very start before he did he'd even take, take in charge of a game that maybe David Silva wasn't in his plans, and uh, you know, companies injury issues were a bit of a problem, weren't they? That Guardiola talked about a lot in the sort of first half of his first season um, but Joe Hart never really came into that conversation of a player that might leave so it, it came sort of out of the blue really as I recall it and all this <clears throat> stuff about him needing a goalkeeper to be good with his feet wasn't th- something that a lot of people had thought about I don't think and um, yeah the Bravo signing um, I remember at the time thinking well it's, it's sad that Joe Hart's going you know really gutted actually because I'd, I'd seen him as our goalkeeper for the for his whole career. I thought he was going to finish his career at City, and he and he was in good form when he left. Really, the the last season that they had at the club wasn't wasn't too bad at all. So, but I remember hearing that Bravo was coming in and thinking, okay, well we're getting Barcelona's goalkeeper. That must be okay. He's he's going to be be all right. That must mean something. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, it, what what could go wrong? Everything went wrong, yeah. didn't it? Basically, yeah. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was a, it was a shame the way Hart left, and it was a shame the way that uh, Bravo uh, his replacement played. But yeah, looking back, I think it was the right decision. Richard, do you ever feel bad that Joe Hart didn't get the sort of send off that Zabaleta, that Silva, that, that that you know Torre, that that Aguero have had? And it, yeah, because he deserved that for what he contributed to the start of this era of success. He was absolutely magnificent in the FA Cup winning seasons, uh, season, sorry, the uh, 2012 title winning year. He was unbelievable. Um, you know, there were, there were points there where he was spoken about and quite rightly spoken about as being in the conversation for best keepers in the world. Um, and maybe for a short time, maybe he was the best keeper in the world. And... Like I said before, I mean, he engaged with the fans. He had on match day, like he had his own special little routine with the fans when they chanted his name and, and made him dance and all that. And he would do it. And that, that kind of rapport is a, is a really, really important thing, particularly the way City were clearly changing at the time. Um, Joe Hart was a... He, he was something that still anchored us to something... Um, I guess something a little bit a little bit more romantic, um, and a, a little bit more of maybe what everybody goes to football for, because so few people get to experience the success we have. But everybody has those players that they love and, and that love the club back. Um, and so yeah, I, I wish that he had been able to get something a, a presentation on the pitch that was just straight up an acknowledgement of him. But like I say, I think the important thing when a player's leaving, I'm sure the respect from the teammates means everything, but. It's the fans that pay the money to come and see you, and he's still got 90 minutes of the fans showing their appreciation to him. So, um, you know, he didn't quite dash off into the night, and he did get a send-off. So I, th- I think that's some consolation. I want one from each of you now. Uh, uh, Joe Hart's best save from... Uh, or, or your your favourite Joe Hart save from, uh, from down the years. Uh, Chris, I'm going to throw you in the deep end and go first. Anything low down to his left. 
Um, I don't know, favourite saves? I think I can't really pinpoint a save. Um, performance, probably the Barcelona one, but yeah. just a memory for me that I will take to my grave is on that day in 2012 when um, when we clinched it and just his face, um, the joy on his face, his arms outstretched, just running around the pitch with, pitch with just a, a victory roar, just just bursting out of it and peeling into the heavens like that I'll I'll take that to my grave and so will he and to be fair to him he's very philosophical about how everything's gone from when I've seen him in interviews um, he's been very generous about the club um, not a lot of people get to experience what he's experienced and it's you know you've, when, you, when you're at that kind of height the only way is down isn't it and it has been a bit of dramatic decline but what a career he's had. I mean, you know, fair play to him. I think uh, he's held himself well since. Yeah. And I love him to bits. Yeah, Dan, any uh, any particular standout save for you? I go for that one away at Swansea in uh, 2015, was it? Last game yeah. of the season. Um, and that was with his left hand as well. So that's a bit of a uh, popular <laughs> misconception, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Richard, anything uh, anything other than that Swansea one? I heard you tut in there, so I'm yeah. guessing you might the same one. That was mine. I don't know. Um, I don't know whether it was his best, and it, it certainly wasn't his most important by by any stretch. Um, but in terms of the first thing that comes to mind, it is either that one where he was sprinting back and stopped Rooney doing him from the halfway line, but we lost the game anyway. But it was at least a little bit of fun. Um, but yeah, other than the Swansea one, because it's it's not really that often that you're watching a game and a save is so good that it makes you do that sort of silence or maybe that sharp intake of breath that you do when you see somebody whack the ball in from 30 yards. Like it's, and, and it did that for me. And I wanted to keep watching it be replayed because the, the athleticism and the instinct and it was just, it was like he was drawn to the ball by some kind of force, which is absolutely magnificent. Yeah, well, neither of you mentioned uh, my favourite, which was uh, away at Spurs in that nil-nil um, deflection off Wright Phillips. I think it was Asu Okotu, uh shot from mm. outside the box, hit, hit Wright Phillips. Again, flying into the top left corner and he got up and, and put it over. So uh, maybe maybe there is something in collector's items to Joe Hart's left there. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but now we're going to move on. And by the end of Guardiola's first season, it was clear that Pablo Zabaleta needed to move on as the manager looked to get some younger legs in the defence. It was announced he was leaving and I reflected on his nine years at City. It's the news everybody could see coming but nobody wanted. Pablo Zabaleta is calling time on his nine years at Manchester City. Speaking ahead of the announcement, the defender seemed to suggest a move was coming. As a football player, you have to be always uh, ready to, to make decisions. Um, especially, you know, uh, I'm not getting any younger, I'm 32, and I need to make sure that I'm, uh, you know, I need to be 100% sure of my decision at the end of the season because. Um, also, when you have family, you have to think about them as well. Few can deny that the time seems right for the Argentinian to move on, but given everything he, the club and the fans have been through together, it's not easy to say goodbye. Zabaleta was the last player signed before Sheikh Mansour's takeover in 2008. In that first season under Mark Hughes, he was also something of a liability with his aggressive style of play. He was sent off in just his seventh appearance and he was often good for a yellow card. Speaking on last week's podcast, Yahoo sports writer Richard Burns 
Evans explains one of Zabaleta's early turning points. I have um, no qualms admitting that in his early days, um, I I wasn't a big Zabaleta fan. It wasn't really until he, he played that game at defensive midfield when we beat Wigan with 10 men. He was sensational in that game, and that was when I started to see, well, at the very least, we've got a, a bit of a warrior here. Goodbye, my lover. Goodbye, my friend. You have been... The Argentinian grew with the club. As City progressed from Champions League hopefuls to FA Cup winners to Premier League title winners, Zabaleta was not only able to stay competitive in the squad, but he continually improved his level of performance. Here he is speaking after the FA Cup win in 2011 when a teammate pours beer over his head. Amazing day, not just for me, for everybody. I think uh, uh, the fans, the club, the staff, everybody will really enjoy it. Oh. Hey, look after my hair, please. I don't have too much, <laughs> but uh, you can see, you can see everybody's really happy. I think we deserve to win today because we, we did a great, great game, especially in the first half. We, we have many chances to score, so we are, we're growing, we're growing as a clue as a team, so we have to enjoy that. The victory came at a difficult time for Zabaleta too. He'd only just returned from compassionate leave in Argentina where his father had been seriously injured in a car crash. He will be really enjoying that, I'm sure. I think I will bring my family. He can't talk at the moment, but um, he still will recover, you know, trying to make a full recovery. And uh, I think, well, I think it, for that, for him, it's, uh, it's really a pleasure, you know, see him. To see, to see me winning important trophies. The following season, Zabaleta faced a tough battle with Micah Richards for the right-back role. When the Englishman picked up an injury late on in the campaign, it gave the Argentine the opportunity to stamp his authority on the position. That's especially when manager Roberto Mancini went unchanged for the final six weeks. He couldn't have picked a more opportune moment to grab his first goal of the season as well. Silva, Yaya Torre, Zabaleta! Where's it going to drop? Is it? Is it? Zabaleta went from strength to strength as City struggled as defending champions. He nailed his position in the team during an injury hit campaign for Richards and he became the best right back in the country. He scored an important goal in an FA Cup win at Stoke and agreed that he was having his best season at the club. I think it's one of the best seasons for me since he signed for Manchester City. Um, you know, always, always trying to improve myself uh, you know, uh, on everything. But uh, and also, I have to say, I'm playing with a great players around, so it make uh, every player better. It was his fifth year with the Blues, and he was in the form of his life. He was always leaving the pitch with a bloodied shirt, stitches, a bandage around his head, or a broken nose, and the fans love it when a player puts his body on the line for a team. That combined with his off-the-pitch character was what made him a cult hero. He's known to be a big fan of status quo and revealed to Chappie in a City TV interview that he's one of a kind in the squad. I used to play guitar. Yeah, I, I, I can play some now. I, I forgot a lot, but... Yeah. Does anybody else in the squad can play an instrument? The, the bitch, nah, the no, yeah, maybe they can play instrument, but... They, they don't. They don't listen to rock and roll. No, it's all. Not one of them. Yeah. It's all like, oh, oh, you yeah, know, yeah, that, this kind of song, raps, yeah, yeah. uh, guns. The Argentinian made himself at home in Manchester, living in Didsbury. It's there where he developed a taste for one chain of restaurants. I remember coming here with my wife, playing in bowling and, and the cinemas, and you know what. When, when we finish uh, bowling, 
We're going to my favorite restaurant in the UK. It's Nando's. <laughs> Zabaleta and his wife have truly taken the city to their hearts and just as the club has increased in stature and the defender has improved on the pitch, they've grown as a family alongside that. As an infrequent scorer, the Argentinian took the opportunity of a goal at Sunderland to announce that he was to become a father. I said to my wife, hopefully I can score uh, at least one goal in this uh, nice month. Um, you know, it was five months, she's five months pregnant already, so uh, I thought oh, it's going to be hard because I still four months ago, so um, I need to score as soon as possible, if not the baby will be too old. The following week he netted a crucial goal against Roma to help City qualify for the Champions League knockout phase. Who can forget his celebration too as he grabbed the badge on his chest and gestured to the small gathering of away fans. That was to be his last goal for over two years until he scored against Watford earlier this season. Back then, Pep Guardiola joked he was the answer to the goal-scoring problems. We discovered he's a top scorer now. He's going to play the winger from now on uh, to, to try to help us to score goals because we have problems to score goals. The manager also explained why he was an important part of the club. The guy who's on the pitch is a competitor. I put an example against Barcelona, who was injured for two weeks, arrived there in the day of the game. So, coach, if you need me, I'm there. And he played awesome against Neymar. <laughs> Neymar is not easy to mark him and to play against Barcelona against him. It's important on the pitch, of course, for his mentality and, and off the pitch as well. You can count on him. You can count on him and no, no matter the situations. As his time comes to an end in Manchester, City fans will be sad to see the Argentinian go, though it's hard to deny that he's not been able to hit the same level of performance that the club needs on a regular basis in the last couple of years. It's possible, though, that it's not the end of the road for him at the Etihad. One thing that we'll be sure that my heart will be here in this, in this club. My love for this club is massive, it's huge. I'm always really appreciate the love for the fans, for everyone. Uh, you know, as a player, have given everything. And then, I don't know, in the future we can come back in different roles or something like that. So, even my son was born in this city. Uh, he's a little monk. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I, 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 I kind of love uh, Manchester. When his playing days are over, there's surely not a City fan that wouldn't like to see Zabaleta back in some capacity. It's always hard to say goodbye to a club legend, but there's been none as emotional as this one for some time. It's been a blast, Zabba, and we hope you've enjoyed it just as much as we have. This is the Blue Moon Podcast, facebook.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. That was a look at Pablo Zabaleta's time at City. Um, uh, Chris, this was the first on-the-pitch presentation for a player. Um, were, you, were you there that night? Did you did you get to see all of that kind of uh, unfold? To be honest, um, I can't remember. I've not had my tea. I've just got in from playing football. <laughs> and uh, I probably was. What... what um, You've put me on the spot there. I'll probably edit this bit out if I... I, I, I can, I'll, I'll, ask, I'll ask it to Dan, it's all right. <laughs> Sorry. No, I wasn't there, actually. Um, I had not long since moved to Germany after that happened, so uh, sadly I missed it, but I was watching it on TV uh, over here, and they showed the whole presentation and all that, and I had tears rolling down my cheeks. Um, yeah, 
shows yeah. you how much he means to me, I guess. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, well, that, that was how I felt to see him go, yeah. I, I remember that was the, that's one of the few times that I've bet on a football match because I bet on Pablo Zabaleta to score any time before that. Um, and then he start, <laughs> I think he started the game on the bench and came on with about 15 minutes left. And I was like, oh, okay, it's not happening then, is it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny they gave him that shirt at the end, that frame shirt, wasn't it? That had his like number of appearances. What was it, three hundred and thirty-three or something like that? And we still had one game to go, and it was like, oh, oh, you're not playing on Sunday, then are you, Pablo? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah Richard. I, I was going to say though, it, like we said in the introduction to this bit about Zabaleta, it, it was definitely the right time for him, wasn't it? You could see his legs weren't up to what what City needed from a fullback. Oh yeah, yeah. I think one one of the the really nice things about most of these players that we that we have talked about or will be talking about, most of them have been able to pick the moment, and that's a I think that's a really great thing. Um, and 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 Zabaleta, absolutely. The way Pep was playing, it it wasn't that Zabaleta wasn't up to Premier League defending anymore, but yeah, the legs weren't there for for what Pep needed him to do. Um, but that's no that's no comment on Zabaleta. Um, he just what a player he was. Um, he, he just left it all on the pitch. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, he just left it all on the pitch every game. I always remember at the uh, when City brought the FA Cup back to the Etihad after the end of the 10-11 season. And um, I, I always remember, I assume it was Hugh Ferris, whoever the stadium announcer was at the time, saying, Pablo, what's happened to your nose? And he just looked into the camera and said, it's broken again. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> just just happened to him all the time, didn't it? And that's a, it's, it's a little summary of what he was like he's a heart and soul on the pitch defender and maybe he wasn't always technically the best but where he wasn't he made up for it in effort and he put himself past an exceptionally talented Micah Richards he made himself the number one defender when when Richards had returned himself to form so um, at that time I'm not sure what what more you could have really said about him for how good he was for City. Yeah, Chris. I, I mean, I was going to ask, you know, what Zabaleta meant to you as a as a fan, but it's like it's almost impossible to put into words, I guess. Yeah, I mean, he's one of my favourite ever humans. Um, never mind <laughs> footballers or or city players. Just you just cannot ask for more in um in like he's a in a club man in a in a footballer in someone on your team. Like you say, heart and soul, blood, sweat, tears. Even More blood, his, lots of blood. Hair, yeah. Even gave, you know, <laughs> left his hair on the pitch. I would assume at times, <laughs> law of averages over, you know, over the over the years. Just, uh, just an absolute legend, and apparently lived uh, a pretty kind of humble, friendly sort of existence. Going to the chippy in Didsbury, and um, you know, it's just like he's ticking boxes that you didn't even know were there to be ticked. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, the the chippy story is always uh, a fan's favourite, isn't it? Yeah. Um, uh, now, if it wasn't a surprise that Zabaleta was leaving, uh, it was maybe a bit of a surprise that Yaya Toure stayed for another season at City. That was after uh, Guardiola's first season. Uh, but at the end of the Centurions year, he was also out of contract and moving on. I looked at how important he'd been to the club.
It took City £24 million to secure the signature of Yaya Toure from Barcelona in the summer of 2010. Then-CEO Gary Cook explained to me a few years later how important signing the midfielder was for the stature of the club. There were a couple of players who changed the dynamics for us, and obviously Rubinho was one, but I always felt Tevez was a good one because that was, you know, that helped us. But really the two I always hold up in, in the highest regard because they, they came for the right reasons, Yaya Toure and David Silva. How difficult or easy was it to get them to sign? It was a little easier once we'd got Yaya to agree um, because then a lot of people started to drop after that. It was much easier once we got the big player. Cook told the Blue Moon podcast that at that time City often had to overpay for players because the club wasn't the biggest and the best. But he explains Torre's move to Eastlands wasn't all about the money. It was about him being a catalyst for change and that's what we always told players. Do you want to be in a little fish in a big pond? Or do you want to come here and change the way that people look at Manchester City? And that was always a compelling argument. And I think Yaya, yeah, he'd yeah, yeah, been a great player at Barcelona, played in the, um, you know, the Champions League against Man United at centre-half. And, and you know, we convinced him that you can keep being thrown around into different positions at Barcelona because you can fit in as a squad player when people are injured. Well, you can come here and make a difference, and I think he bought into that. The money, though, did touch a nerve for some. Critics took to write in opinion pieces on how he was overpaid for what he was. But on the pitch, Torre was proving his worth. The midfielder came into his own in the FA Cup, notching up winners against Manchester United and Stoke at Wembley. It secured City's first trophy in 35 years. Speaking after the final, Torre was proud. I just love it when Wembley. I just love it when Wembley, because it's fantastic beach, and for me, when I play... To this big kind of beach is just amazing, you know. Can just play and and and, and try to attack and try to, to score the goal. But I think for me, this winning is for the fans, you know, for the club, you know, because you know, waiting so long time and and I think the dream is come true now. We, we we go to the Champions League and we win some win cup for the for the for the club this year. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. There were key goals in City's next trophy too. Roberto Mancini pushed the midfielder further forward at Newcastle in 2012, where City needed to win to take advantage in the title race. It paid off as Torre scored twice. He spoke to City TV after the game. I can say thank you to my to my experience, you know, because I have played so many tough important tough, tough game important game in my career and. Uh, is that give me give me more confidence to to deliver in such an important game like that, you know? And I think for me, it was like that. It's like always I say, I come to this club to to make history. Even some people told me uh, said I come to for different things. The midfielder then assisted the opening goal in the 3-2 win over QPR on the final day of the season, but he then had to go off injured. He was relieved when the team managed to complete the late comeback after finding themselves 2-1 down going into stoppage time. I think the team deserve it, the fans deserve it, the boys deserve it. I think today all this club deserve this trophy this year, you know, because we all, even the people, we try to make the, the beach well. I think everybody deserves it this year. Mancini's replacement, Manuel Pellegrini, then built his side around a midfield pairing of Torre and new signing Fernandinho in 2013, and the pair hit it off almost instantly. Torre went on to score 24 in all competitions that year, including his first ever professional hat-trick. Not only was he the driving force behind the second Premier League title, but he scored a sensational equaliser to swing that season's League Cup final back into City's favour. From 1-0 down, the side went on to win 3-1. It's helped the club win its first domestic double, and he explains why he had such a good campaign. It's two parts, I think. It's mature experience as well, but I think the manager as well 
give me this freedom, you know, it allow me to be more on the offensive side, you know, because with uh, with with Mancini was different, you know, because Mancini is more about defending inside, and but sometimes he was able to put me uh, in the back of the striker, but. I think I always enjoyed the attacking side. However, off the field, Toure was involved in some nasty headlines that season. When City went to CSKA Moscow for a Champions League tie, the Ivorian was subjected to racist chanting. He told City TV about the incidents. It was a few times when I went into the goal and I tried to score and I missed it. And after this, some, some fans would react badly. But it's always the same, you know, and they said they but no against racism and some blah blah blah, you know, they have to stop it now, you know. We are we 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 are not we are not the kids. They have to react and I hope uh, the UEFA will take it action about that because uh, we want to stop down here. At the end of the season, Torre also spoke to the BBC about attitudes towards players from Africa. It's something City fans had noticed too. The midfielder's qualities that were always talked about were his pace and his power, never his deft touches, his vision and his range of passing. His excellent technique was often ignored in favour of racial stereotypes and lazy analysis. I'm very proud to be African. I want to defend African people. I want to show that to the world the African player can be much as good as the European are, much as good as South American are. And the mind of people, they think they're African like animals, we are not human beings. It was a good time to speak out as Torre had been one of the standout players in City's title-winning side that year. But as good as things had been on the pitch, it wasn't all rosy behind the scenes. It was alleged he was feeling disrespected over not being wished a happy birthday. His agent, Dimitri Selluk, spoke to Sky Sports. In some club, like minimum, uh, president club call uh, to every player personally, uh, congratulate with birthday. Some clubs send flowers to his family, some clubs do this. It's different way what possible do, and this is his main thing. The agent said the relationship between his clients and the club was strained. If, of course, Manchester City is not a respect player, how player can be motivated playing for this team if team don't respect him? But it turned out to have been blown out of all proportion and the situation was resolved amicably. The following year, ahead of Torre's birthday, the subject came up in one of Manuel Pellegrini's press conferences. It's Yaya's birthday next week. Are you going to be getting him a cake? Sure, it's next week. Well, we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we will do. We will think what's the best thing for, for you. <laughs> I think it's important to to learn from the mistake that you have in the, in the past. Torre had had a difficult season the year after the title win. He hadn't been able to get going and a lot of it was put down to how much football he played, having been to the 2014 World Cup as well. But it was also unclear how much the death of his younger brother Ibrahim had affected him. However, Torre continued to be involved throughout Pellegrini's final season with speculation it could be his last after the announcement that Pep Guardiola was to take over. The Catalan had sold him to City from Barcelona in 2010. The midfielder was then left out of the Champions League squad and his agent didn't like it, speaking out to the press. The new boss wouldn't stand for it. Except Mr. Dimitri Salou came back in the press conference or his friends in the media and say, apologise to Manchester City, the first one, the second one his teammates and after the train. When that happened, Yaya will be part of the group and he will have the same chance to play all the games. Because I cannot accept like a coach, every manager when he doesn't play, what his player go to the media and speak and speak and speak. At the beginning of November 2016, about three months after that press conference, Torre apologised and he was brought back into the team. 
On his return, he scored twice at Selhurst Park to secure a 2-1 win over Crystal Palace. Guardiola was pleased with the midfielder's display. I would say that his performance is not about, about my decision, it's about his quality. Uh, I'm so happy because he's now real part of the team and he can help us to achieve our, our targets because we need all the players, because uh, he's so demanding that uh, Premier League and the Champions League and the Cup and, and so on and we need all the players. Torre played a big part in City's campaign last season after returning to the squad. He'd become an integral member of the side in the run-in and became the only player to earn a contract extension. However, this season he's barely featured beyond several appearances from the bench. Given what he's achieved at the Etihad, being the backbone of two title wins and three domestic trophies, his impact shouldn't be underestimated. Yaya Torre is a Manchester City legend and should be remembered as one of the greats when his time with the club comes to an end. Check out exclusive City interviews on our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. That was a look at Yaya Torre there. Chris, you said earlier on um, that, um, that that Guardiola never really references him. And the two, I mean, it, it's probably fair to say that they don't see eye to eye, given that after he'd left City, uh, Torre ac- accused Guardiola of being racist. Um and then, I mean, he's he's recently retracted that and said that he's he's offered his apologies, and we don't know if Guardiola's even seen the letter that 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 Torre sent to City. But it always feels a little bit sad to me that that's kind of how it's gone afterwards. Yeah, yeah, it's just really weird. It's hard to get your head around. Like, I'm sure, you know, the the, the story that kind of broke. There's obviously, you know, it's not broke out of nothing, but it seems that the reality we're kind of presented with isn't, you know, it's been warped out of, I don't know. I mean, the, the agent is the, the issue there, isn't it? Um, he seems to be pulling the strings, saying things on his behalf. The the thing about the cake, I mean, come on. It's absolutely so proper, that, wasn't it? Just, does it, does it sour <laughs> is, the memories of him, do you think? Um, it does to an extent. Like because he was such an unstoppable force in midfield, I I've never seen. I don't think I'll ever see a player like that. He could grab the game by the scruff of the neck and just turn it on. And you know, once he was in, once he was in his groove, you just couldn't get near him. You just couldn't get near him. He skittled players out of the way, and such a delicate uh, touch on the ball with such power behind it. Some of the finishes from from distance where he's just passing it in. That one against um, Sunderland was it in the the final at Wembley where Oh he, he had no right to score it, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, he's passing that. It's a side foot. Like he's just it's ridiculous. The technique on that. It's one of the best players I've ever seen, but it's such um a position to be in to say that about so many of these players. They're just world-class players that the like of which you know you're not going to see you'll see you'll see brilliant players but certain players like like Yaya all of these players that we're talking about have a, a sort of unique quality to them that is like in this instance you know that is only Yaya Torre that can that can that can do what he does in that way amazing yeah. player but yeah definitely tainted by the the nature of the exit yeah. really really weird and I always like to bring up as well you know on his mural uh, yeah. no, he's, more, he's a mosaic. Um, the 
plants that are, it's underplanted with uh, begonias, which are also known as elephant's ears. So I'm hoping that's a subtle reference by the club to the Ivory Coast uh, with a bit of uh, subtle plant in there. So, yeah. <laughs> look, look, I, look I, I always that. I always forget that you're the horticulturist of the of mm. the uh, of the group. But yeah, well, you know. <laughs> Got to bring something to the table, haven't I? <laughs> yeah. the, uh, the Blue Moon Podcast garden has never looked so good, uh, ladies and gentlemen. I promise you. When uh, since since we brought Chris in, uh, Dan, beautiful. Yeah, the Dan the um, the goals that Torre scored. Um, when you think about the key goals at the key times, um, FA Cup semi final, FA Cup final. You know, it, th- th- those are the big two. Then yeah. like Chris has mentioned the equaliser against Sunderland in the League Cup final. Uh, he, he fired City to the title that season with 20-odd goals from midfield, only the second midfielder ever to get in the Premier League to get past 20 goals. Like He, he knew when to score crucial goals, didn't he? Yeah, don't forget the Newcastle away one as well in the, yeah, the title yeah. run. That was a, that was yeah, a massive yeah. one, yeah. Um, yeah, he, he did, totally. I mean, uh, you, you might say he was probably the most important player we ever signed. Um, I mean, there's, there's that story that, that uh, Gary Cook told you when you interviewed him, Mooney, about how he sort of convinced uh, David Silva to sign by telling Yaya Torre had signed and vice versa. Um, so, you know, if, if, if all Torre had contributed to this club was the fact that he got David Silva to sign for us, then that would have been enough, wouldn't it? But that, that was just where it, <laughs> where it began for him. And he, he you know, he, he contributed so much, so many crucial moments, so many kind of clutch moments for us. Um, and it's a bit of a shame that I guess that he perhaps isn't quite regarded on the same level as the likes of Silva and Aguero and company. Maybe it does have something to do with the transfer request that he was putting in and the sort of slightly disruptive influence that he had. Maybe it. It's something to do with the fact that Guardiola is sort of, you know, the club, isn't he now? And the fact that he never really saw eye to eye with him kind of means that that might have sort of soiled his uh, relationship with the club somewhat. I don't know, but yeah, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I don't know if uh, there's a a specific reason why he hasn't been uh, put forward for a statue. I don't know if it's something to do with his, because he's he's Muslim, isn't he? And uh, the Muslim faith, they they don't... um, erect statues of people basically because it's uh, sort of against the religion so I don't know if that's got something to do with it um, or it's just a pure snub but um, yeah I hope he never gets forgotten I don't think he will yeah Richard it's it, it kind of that kind of leads me into the into the final question for this bit which I I'd kind of I, I'd thought about as did I mean does or did Torre get the recognition that he deserved for for what he'd done for City um no probably not and I think during his time at City, particularly when he was at his best, we I think we um, we probably touched on some of the reasons for that, and and some of it is, um, I, I think in the year that we live in now, some of the things that have gone on in the world over the last um, just over twelve months, I think we're probably like there's been a real reckoning where we're more aware of the way that. Um, we speak about people of colour and Yaya was talking about that when he was a City player and he was talking about how he felt he never really got the respect because he was an African player and black African players are described in certain ways um, if they meet certain stereotypes and and Yaya um, you know it's not untrue to say that he was a big powerful guy because he was like that's you look at him and you see that. You watch how he plays the game and you can see that. But it wasn't his main quality. Um, Yaya's main quality was his brain. Like He was an outrageously intelligent midfielder who probably moved midfield play in the Premier League on by a significant um, by a significant margin, because you mentioned about him being only the second player to sc- sorry only the second midfielder to score over twenty Premier League goals in a season following Lampard. It's not like they had many 
huge similarities in the way they played the game. Yeah. It was completely different, and but knocking up the same kind of numbers for... Okay, maybe not as consistently as Lampard was hitting those numbers, but he was a different player. Um, so I, I think there's all the reasons that Chris and Dan have said definitely muddy the waters somewhat for Yaya, and it's a real shame. And, and there's some of that that he has to take responsibility for, even though it was his agent, um, because he's his own man. Yeah, you can you can uh, choose your representatives, can't you? Yeah, and let's face it, he could have afforded any representative in the world that he wanted if he'd have uh, if he'd have decided to ditch Dimitri. So, um, you know, there, there is some responsibility to be taken there. But I, I think with the IR as well, um, and this is a maybe a slightly unfinished thought, but there's a point to which he represents throughout his time at City. He almost represents the different stages of City. So when he signed like he was referred to as um, being seduced by the whore of world football. <laughs> um, and it, I, I don't think any of us would pretend that he signed because he'd grown up watching Kevin Orlock. Like, <laughs> of course he came because he would get a good wage. Of, of course he did. But there was something more to it too. And he spoke about wanting to be in the history of the club and the great achievement being... Um, being taken a club that wasn't used to success and being a pivotal role in making them successful. And then... Somewhere in the middle, he was just, when City had been accepted as a dominant force and as an elite club, he was accepted as an elite player for however the mud, the, the, the waters are muddied or um, he didn't quite get maybe the recognition he deserved for as long as he should have done. He was recognised as a, as a truly great player in that 2014 season, but he should have won player of the year and didn't. So no, he didn't quite get the recognition. And then at the end, he represented the shake-up that Pep needed to make. And so his name will always be synonymous with City's success. Um, and you can't talk this era without, or you can't talk this era fairly without mentioning Yaya Torre. Um, and that's not just City, that's this era, this era of Premier League football. Yeah. Um, but he, yeah, is he deserves more recognition? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, the departure of Vincent Company in 2019 came as a bit of a shock, so we didn't actually make a goodbye feature for him on the podcast that year. Uh, knowing that we were making this special episode, though, Sam Roscoe has been back to fill in the blanks and uh, look at one of the most influential ever City captains. <laughs> City fans could see as soon as Vincent Company made his debut against West Ham that they had signed a great player, but few will have realised how the stars had aligned. I always wanted to play in the Premier League though, but I was very, I was feeling comfortable at Hamburg. It's a great club and great fans, and you know, I was, I was really happy that. Company was speaking to the podcast back in 2010. He'd been at City nearly 18 months and was talking about the incident that saw him choose to leave Hamburg. He wanted to stay at the Beijing Olympics to represent Belgium, but Hamburg wanted him to return for pre-season. I wanted to play for my country. That's all I was asking for, and uh, and you know my, that right has been taken away from me. And from that moment on, it was uh, um, yeah the relationship changed, and uh, you know I'm someone who speaks his mind, and um, without being disrespectful, I, I gave my opinion about it, and uh, and. You know, we realised that we couldn't come together on, on, on that. City swooped and paid a reported £6 million. When City came, I thought, well, you know, it's a good club and, and you know, the way the manager spoke to me at that time, I felt like that was going to be the, the perfect place for me to get to the next level. His first game was a 3-0 win over West Ham and he won the man of the match. Here's what he said to Sky Sports afterwards. I signed for two days. I trained once yesterday with, uh, with the guys. I don't even think everybody was on training. Today I played, I didn't even know the names. 
and uh, you know just during the game I learned all the names and I, I started you know knowing how, how everybody plays and it was just a lot of fun. He started as a defensive midfielder but was switched to centre-back when Roberto Mancini took charge. There, alongside Jolly and Lescott, he created a formidable defensive partnership as City were being transformed from a mid-table team into a Champions League outfit. It wasn't long until he was chosen as captain. I signed for City. First captain was Richard Dunn, Colo Toure, Carlos Tevez, and then um, Tevez went golfing for a few months and and then I was uh, captain by default for a bit and then took over the next year. He also swapped shirt numbers from 33 to 4. Here's how he explained it to Nader Manua on his podcast, Kickback with Nader. Number 4. Number 4. I know, I know who I got it from. Uh, who did you get it from? TV. Oh, you got it from me? Yeah, okay. I absolutely I hate a number 33. Yeah, yeah. So I, so I went on loan to Sunderland. The moment I got in my car, you took my number. Have some respect, seriously. No, I pulled you before you went in your car. I said, Chiefy, I'm going to take your <laughs> no, number. No, don't, don't, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. I got in my car, and the next thing I was seeing that you were number four. I Shame on you. No, Shame I told you. you. I remember very well I told you. I think he was, was in the kit room. Company made that number four shirt his own. He was a big part of the FA Cup winning side, ending the club's 35-year wait for a trophy. And then he led the team to their first Premier League title a year later. In the running, he scored one of the most important goals, the winner against United, to send City back to the top of the table. He spoke to Sky Sports. I remember someone texting me and saying, you're going to score the goal today, and I thought he was a lunatic. So, <laughs> um, But you know, this, this victory goes out to the whole team. and turned in by Vincent Company. Manchester City ahead, right on half-time. Cometh the hour, cometh the captain. We all know how it went from there. The win at Newcastle and the Aguero moment against QPR. You want to say it's the best moment of your life, but if I'm honest, please never again this way. Please never again. It was, um, I mean, we've been so good this season, you know, we've been incredible and especially at home and then all of a sudden today, even though our first half was really good, we just couldn't get through. Be honest, did you think it was over? Do you know what? some reason we've done it before this season and uh, I never stopped believing, never ever did I stop believing. Company played a big role in City's first league and cup double too. Under new manager Manuel Pellegrini, he remained the leader that saw the team beat Sunderland in the league cup final and overhaul Liverpool for the title in 2014. He spoke on the pitch to City TV. I think we did everything right this season and you know people have to remember that we've had a busy busy schedule and we've gone through it and right to the end and you know, as the fans say it all the time, we never give up and we, we fight till the end and this is what we this is the reward today. But the years that followed were not kind for the captain. He suffered a string of muscle injuries and was able to make only fifty appearances in the Premier League in the next three seasons. It had all changed behind the scenes, with Pep Guardiola replacing Pellegrini, and there were questions over the captain's future. He answered those in style, making himself an integral part of City's record-breaking Centurions team in 2018. He celebrated that in his local pub with John Stones and Bernardo Silva. If there's kids in the room, cover their ears or send them out. It's been a fucking long journey. Especially if you've been a blue for more than 40 years in your life.
Not only was the captain back to his best, but he was playing regularly and his years of injury hell were behind him. He formed another great set of partnerships with both John Stones and Aymeric Laporte to see City win an unprecedented domestic treble. And, just like in 2012, he had a huge say in the title race, scoring the winner against Leicester. It was one of the goals of the season. Company. And have a crack here. Getting closer. Today was a little bit of frustration because everyone's saying, oh, don't shoot, don't shoot, I could really hear it. And it was annoying me and I said, hold on a second. I've not come this far in my career for, for young players to tell me whether I can take a shot or not. And I just took it. It's 15 years of, of top level football, of having midfielders telling me, you know, don't shoot, you know, play the ball wide, play the ball wide. And every single time I miss, I told them for 15 years, I promise you, I said, one day I'm going to have a shot from outside the box and I'm going to score a goal and you're going to be really happy with that one. He led City to their Premier League title win the following week and then capped in the side in their historic 6-0 FA Cup final win over Watford. It was only then that his decision to leave City after 11 years was made public. Vincent Kompany leaves as possibly the greatest captain the club has ever seen. is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. That was Sam Roscoe uh, looking at Vincent Company's City career. Um, Richard, were you surprised when when Company decided to call it a day? <laughs> I had been at Wembley the day before for the FA Cup final and the completing of the treble. And obviously, by the very nature of that and living in Manchester, got back pretty late. So I was having a minor lying and um, just scrolling through Twitter looking at people's pictures reading the steamy takes of the internet and all that and uh, and then as I refreshed his statement I think it was about 9am and his, his statement popped to the top of my Twitter feed and yeah I um, I read it I remember him releasing it in two parts and yeah I was I, th- I think the way it was done because we'd got quite accustomed to having a bit of advance notice um I think with company, yeah, it definitely was a surprise. And and reading the statement where he name-checked, uh, name-checked probably isn't the right thing to say, but where he, he referenced how um, how his one regret was that his mother had never been able to watch him at the Etihad. And, yeah, that that hit me in a, in a pretty different way to all the others, to be fair. Um, it was it was very upsetting. <laughs> yeah. uh, Dan, did you did you ever get the feeling that he could have uh, carried on and, and, and done, a, done a, an, at least another season for City? Maybe, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, what often sort of gets a bit forgotten about with company is that he was a write-off at one point, wasn't he? There was a point where his injuries got so bad that he could, you know, he couldn't string two games together. And and people were sort of, you know, looking at each other among the fan base and saying, is it time to give up on this guy now? Can we keep can we keep doing this? Can he keep putting himself through this? It's not really working out for us, is it? I think it's time for him to, for, for us all to kind of move past this now. So the fact that he came back, you know, so many times and eventually came back to the point where he was a crucial, defender in a title winning team in one of the most you know exhilarating tense uh, nerve-wracking uh, tight title races we've ever seen in the Premier League and 
was playing really, really well. It was a little bit of a surprise that he that he left, and I think it was um, the right time for him him personally because I don't know if that Anderlecht job might have been there for him if he'd stayed another year at City. Um, and of course, the goal against Leicester was just the perfect sign off, wasn't it? You're not getting a, a better moment than that, really, to sort of end your career at the the club where you've been so successful. So. Yeah, that everything about that one felt right. You know, the him him uh, crying on the pitch after the Leicester game was a pretty surefire sign that he was that something was happening there, wasn't it? Yeah, and I think he announced even before the Brighton game that he was leaving, if I, if I remember rightly. Um, and of course, we got the testimonial, so we did get to have like a proper goodbye with him, which is something that we've not had with any of these other players so far. So yeah, I have no regrets about the way the, the company uh, departure um, worked out because I, th- I think it was handled brilliantly. Chris, be honest now. Uh, when you saw him shaping to shoot against Leicester, did you think, "Oh Christ, what's he doing here?" <laughs> no, Vinny, don't shoot. <laughs> um, I don't know what I was feeling. I was, I was kind of resigning myself to the fact that we weren't going to do it in that game, and you know, you start like mentally preparing your excuses and uh, the reposts that you've got in your quiver ready to fire at the various rags and scouses that you know and you start formulating your defence um, and yeah I mean still get goosebumps when I, when I see that it's definitely very very close to the uh, Aguero goal um, the, the scenes that exploded when that rippled the net were you know, fairly, fairly unparalleled. Um, a mate of mine, I'm, I'm surprised we got him back. He just disappeared. <laughs> like, it's, like, it's like losing someone overboard in a in a storm. Um, it was just one of the most amazing, tumultuous scenes of like elation and just oh wow, just yeah, just thinking about that. That is that sort of thing is is what I miss. I've also like got some footage that I took on the terraces when he scored against United um, at half time we were just going absolutely mental singing his name like everybody the place was bouncing you, I mean we've had some good atmospheres but there's things like that and it just like makes you yearn for normality to return but yeah. in terms of in terms of the way it happened the thing is with company is he's, he's his own man he's that sort of dignified and intelligent and eloquent that if he wants to do it like that then let him do it like that and to score that goal it's like well you can't argue with him you could argue with him but he'd probably win there's quite a quite a machine whirring under that that dome of his yeah. and uh yeah just absolutely adore him well, if company's departure was a surprise, then David Silvers wasn't. He was determined to do 10 years at City and it was announced at the beginning of the 2019-20 season that it was to be his last. The pandemic then got in the way of fans being able to say their farewells and I look back on the City career of one of the best players the club has ever had. Sometimes it's hard to say goodbye. The black and white photo is a 
a real tug at the heartstrings, wasn't it? I think I speak for all City fans when I say that was a very sad moment. My principal emotion was pride at how this wonderful, wonderful footballer was given the best years of his career to City. As Richard Burns explains, it's not just the City fans who are waving David Silva off. We sort of think of us as fans having one last look at David Silva, but then Silva posts that picture and it's like, God, yeah, he has to have one last look at the Etihad. Dan Burke feels honoured to have seen a player of Silva's quality at the Etihad for so long. We could have played for any club we wanted to, but I think it speaks volumes about the culture that's been created at City that a player like David Silva didn't feel like he needed to play for anyone else. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk when we sign players like Silva, Yaya Torre and Sergio Aguero, that they were just mercenaries who were only coming to City for the money. But, you know, 10 years down the line, they've made loads of brilliant history and made a few people eat their words, I think. Adam Carter thinks it's been harder to deal with because of how long Silva's exit has been planned. We've not had to deal with these kind of exits where we've known they've been coming for such a long time, but this one's been really drawn out and just with each passing day it gets a bit more sad really. Looking back through Silva's career, he actually played at the Etihad before he signed for City in 2010. It was for Valencia in the Thomas Cook Trophy where he scored the only goal of the game. Neda Manua was in City's team that day back in 2007. I just remember thinking like, we thought we were going to be good at City, but oh lord were they good. You're the only one of us that's, that's ever got near to playing with him, what was he like? Oh wow, to be fair you say that, I didn't get that close either, I tried my best but you know, he's just he's David Silva, he's, he's do you know what he is? So he's he's a magician. While we all think of the moments of skill or his goals and assists, Anua says that Silva has a much more rounded view of his performances. When I spoke to Joe Hart about David Silva, he said like David could play the best pass you've ever seen in the history of the world, like say his volley through to Zeko, to Zeko, whatever at Old Trafford. But after the game, all he want to talk about is a moment where maybe he made a tackle or won a header. So if he's not going to do it, let's us do it. Let's celebrate Silva's highlights at City, starting off with his first ever goal. It was away at Red Bull Salzburg in the Europa League in just his seventh game, and shock horror, it was with his right foot. That Salzburg goal and that lovely Umbro kit, only David could conjure up something that special for being such a one-footed player to actually create that with his right foot. The more standout goal though was five games later against Blackpool. It was kind of a Messi-esque dribble, cut pack, you think he's going to shoot there and then he sends Charlie for another pint of milk, Charlie have him, then sends him for another one and then finally slots it into the far corner. Uh, something we've not really seen since like King Cladzi or maybe a bit from Benabia so we were really Oh, that really opened our eyes as to what David could bring. His first season was a major success. In his 50th appearance, he helped City qualify for the Champions League for the first ever time. Then, in his 51st, he won the FA Cup. Early in the next season was that classic assist for Edin Dzeko too in the 6-1 derby win at Old Trafford. He receives the ball in such an unlikely position to play that pass, but he receives it with his, his body shape being impeccable times it wonderfully on the volley in a position that made it harder for Dzeko to miss than to score. The title followed at the end of that year, with the second title not far off under new manager Manuel Pellegrini. The performance that stands out in that 2014 season was away at Hull. Not just because he scored his best ever goal that day, but just the way he majestically pulled the strings from midfield. I think City also needed a leader in that game after Vincent Kompany got himself sent off, and I feel like Silva really led by example that day, as he always did. 
Um, I'm still in shock that he took a shot from that far out. So, you know, this is a this is a guy I've seen pass from inside the six-yard box before now. The next season, Silva marked his 200th appearance for City with two goals against Crystal Palace before scoring again on his 250th. Unbelievably, it wasn't until Pep Guardiola's second season that he scored his first goal at Wembley as he won his third League Cup with the club. I think 2017-18 has to be considered Silva's best overall season for City. Uh, you know, he was going through his hair transplant. He had all the difficulties going on off the pitch with his son being born prematurely and there were times when he wasn't even training with the team and yet he was consistently putting in 9 or 10 out of 10 performances every week. Um, including that goal against Arsenal in the League Cup, finally got 10 goals that season, which was one of his best scoring seasons for the club, 14 assists as well, and he even made it into the Premier League team of the season, which was uh, a rarity for some reason. With Guardiola, he's won everything but the Champions League, and that could still change this season. There's a school of thought that David Silva might not be a pet player. Now, it's easy to say now that that sounds a bit daft, in terms of how Pep likes his players to play, um, Silva facilitates everything. That attacking player gets deep, he mucks in, he works hard. So it's, yeah, in, in retrospect you can say that we, I suppose we should have seen it coming. A 3-0 win over Wolves in 2019 gave Silva the record for the most appearances in a City shirt in the Premier League past Joe Hart. Here's Adam Carter again from the Stat City website. If anyone deserves it then it's David. Uh, never a concern off the pitch and always does the right thing on the pitch. A, pro- a star will Never ever forget, a player will never be repeated. His final appearance at the Etihad, that 2-1 win over Real Madrid, was his 435th for City. One more will draw him level with former defender Willy Donaghy and take Silva into the top 10 appearance makers for the club. Two more gives him the 10th spot outright, and Donaghy isn't unhappy to drop to 11th in his place. Just to be talked about in the same breath as him is an honour for me, because he's been a fantastic player for City, won so many things, it's been brilliant for the club, but his just behaviour on the pitch has been superb, what a gentleman. He says it shows what Silva has brought to City. I'll be delighted for him, especially in the modern day when loyalty isn't so prevalent, to make that number of games at one club is fantastic and I'll, I'll be pleased if they get more and more players like that, especially as I said, in modern society where there's a lack of loyalty. It will show that Man City are being successful when they're looking after the players. All of that depends on Silva playing against Leon and then City making it further into the Champions League. However it ends for him and for City this season, it's fair to say that the last decade has been an absolute blast for both the fans and everybody connected to City. One more time, feeling so free. We're gonna celebrate, celebrate and dance so free. One more time, this feeling so free. We're gonna for a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. That was a look at uh, David Silver's time at City. Um, Chris, did you find it hard not being there for, for Silver's departure because, because of uh, the fact that, that it had to be played behind closed doors? I did, yeah. I found it hard. And I also found it hard to kind of countenance in the the way he plays. You do feel, well, he's he's proved that he's, he's got more in the tank and the selfish part of you wanted him to stay a little bit longer and he's done well um, with Sociedad, hasn't he? Um, but yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's hard. We can only hope that 
he'll come back and get a send off that he deserves with a, a fitting testimonial. Um, it's just you feel a bit of a nose saying, "Oh, it's really hard for us that we've not had a, a send off for these players." But you know, in this context, in this context, we are only football fans, and we are allowed to have a whinge about it. There's people suffered a lot more in the pandemic other than us not letting, not being able to see Dave Silver go. But I'm sure he'll come back uh, for the for the send off that, that he deserves. Um, I'm just lucky to, like I say, with all these players, just really privileged and lucky to have witnessed his sort of finesse, tenacity, strength, and skill, just week in, week out, just pulling strings how he did. Um, I have a theory, you know, that that gift. he he sh- he should have been booked a lot more than he was because he was a right little shit kicker, wasn't he? Yeah, he was <laughs> nails, mate. He had it all, like an absolute shit house when he needed to uh, to be, and power to him for that as well. Like that's one of my favourite things about him. Yeah, gets away with it. Babyface David Silva can't hurt anybody, but there he's hacking the bone away of uh, <laughs> yeah. one of the defenders. Yeah, um, I, uh, Dan, it's. Um, if it was a fitting end that he pulled the strings against Norwich, uh, it, it wasn't a fitting end that he came on for the last 10 minutes in that Leon game, was it? No, to be honest, I, t- I totally forgot that he did come on against Leon because I, t- I think I've sort of blanked that game from my memory for the most part, um, which is probably a good thing, isn't it? Really? <laughs> let's, never, let's never relive that again. Yeah, it, it was sad. It was sad. I mean, I think um, one thing that you can say about the club over the years is that they've they've got the tone pretty, pretty right on, on most occasions with these farewells. They've, they've been really good at sort of acknowledging these legends and saying goodbye to them and all that kind of thing and you know that that little uh, thing they did with David Silva where they had his pairs of boots all over the pitch for his all of it, all his assists was like a really nice little touch and um it was a shame to see him see him bow out in an empty stadium of course but I think uh, I think one of the guys said on the podcast last week John or Jack said that it was perhaps quite fitting for him that you know is a kind of quiet unassuming guy that he went out like that and didn't need all this fanfare really but yeah, as Chris said, I definitely hope we, we see him again at the Etihad. I'm sure there'll be some sort of celebration for him in future and uh, looking forward to that because, you know, I, I really want to see him in the blue shirt one more time uh, yeah. in some, some capacity, yeah. Richard, the best player you've ever seen for City or is that is it too hard to say? Um, I, I would say he probably is. And then I think it's there are understandably arguments against that. I think Aguero is absolutely in that conversation. Um Chris said earlier, I think it was Chris, forgive me if it was Dan, it was one of you, um, said that, yeah, yeah, probably the most important player that um, that City have had. So he belongs in that conversation too. I think what what nudges it for Silver for me, and like, I don't really like choosing one between Silver and Aguero, but as, a, as an exercise, I'll do it. I, I, I would say Silver represents, right, if I had any ability and if I could play football, I'd want to play it like David Silva, and that's, I guess, that's the most cut and dry, um, the most cut and dry way I, c- I can look at why he's my favourite player. He was like balletic on the pitch. He was so graceful, and I mean, like you said earlier, he was um, he was pretty hard, really, and he, he could put himself about and he could defend himself, but he, it's quite a cliche thing to say about things that you enjoy, but. He did make the game an art form, and if I suppose if I think of any player over the last decade where I think that's the player that I would pay my season ticket money to watch, it, then it's Silver because he's just so aesthetically pleasing. He could do everything, um, and yet despite all that, 
there was still in his game a reflection of his personality as a really humble man. He was never um, he was never aiming to be the guy who got the big goals. He wanted to set up other people. He wanted to make the assists. There was a reason that um, that Pep used to eulogise about how how nobody could ever understand how good David Silva was, and I, I think it's true. I think. Um, I, I can probably, in, in seeing him as my favourite player, I can probably tell you about 10% of, of what actually made him brilliant because the rest is all in his head. It's, it's an understanding of the game that most people don't have. He, he saw angles and, and turned the pitch into physically something different to most other players do. Um, just an absolutely, absolutely beautiful footballer. And it, it is really sad that, that we didn't get to be there. But as, as has already been said, maybe... Maybe it just sort of fit the way his career went. Sort of, he he did dash off into the night. Yeah, I always remember uh, in in one of the earlier podcasts when I mean he'd been at City a few years, but uh, by that time uh, Rob Pollard on the podcast was telling us uh, that, that he basically said the three things you want in a in a good attacking midfielder are uh, uh, to be both footed, and David Silva wasn't uh, <laughs> to have a bit of pace about them, and David Silva had no pace whatsoever and uh, be able to hit it from range and David Silva couldn't do that either um, and yet despite all those three like the three key skills that you want in an attacking midfielder um, Silva not having despite that he's still the best player that's that's been in the Premier League and so that is a, just a testament to how good he could do everything else and uh, I kind of uh, I wholeheartedly agree with that <laughs> He hit that one from range against Hull doesn't he which almost makes you think that he just didn't he, he could do it he just didn't want to most of the yeah. time he was perhaps happier passing the ball or something I don't know Yeah yeah. Uh, right, so that leads us on to this year's heart-wrenching departure of Sergio Aguero. Here's the feature we did for him on this season's podcast. I've got another confession to make. There's only one place to start. It's finished at Sunderland. Manchester United have done all they can. That Rooney goal was enough for the three points. Manchester City are still alive here. Balotelli, Aguero! That goal will forever be one of the most amazing moments in football history. Here's how Aguero remembers it. That goal for me is the most important to my life. So all the time I watch that game. My father all the time. <laughs> also my son. But uh, yeah, I think that that goal is will be uh, all the time in my mind. He was speaking to Martin Tyler for Sky Sports. Just the only one I remember I say, Mario, you to be in the, the number nine. So if I receive the ball, I I try to 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 find you to one one two, you know. And I say okay. <laughs> and then the the first moment when I receive the ball, just I look to Mario. My mind in, in that moment, I think um, I thought, okay, I have to one chance, one chance. That was the culmination of Aguero's first season at City. He'd been phenomenal all year and had left a lasting impression on his debut. Here's how Joe Hart and Vincent Company responded after that 4-0 win over Swansea, where Aguero scored twice from the bench. He's not bad. Now he's coming. Um, 38 million is a big price tag, and 38 million well spent. You know, we've not really seen much of him. Um, the, the manager's kept him quite well protected. Obviously, he's had a big summer. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's definitely coming with a surprise. I would say um, he's, he's got great potential, and um, you know, the most important for me is that also you saw some some moments of him, you know, defending and you know, being hard on the man and. 
for our, for us, for the team, for the season is going to be very important. His manager at the time, Roberto Mancini, was also singing his praises. For me, he's a fantastic striker. He's a young. I think that uh, for us, he will be a fantastic player in the future. Aguero developed well at City. By his third season, Manuel Pellegrini was the manager and the striker had an excellent understanding with new signing Alvaro Negredo. Here's how Paul Averton judged it on the podcast. I think Negredo's been fantastic for Aguero. He, he holds the ball up so well and he brings Aguero into the playoffs. This season has been absolutely unplayable and I think you have to credit that to Negredo, his willingness to run. And to be fair, Tevez wanted a bit of attention, Jekyll wanted a bit of attention, but I think Negredo's happy to be you know, the second man sort of thing and help Aguero play his best. The goals have been a constant. In his City career, he scored against 32 of the 33 Premier League teams he's faced. He has the Premier League records for the most goals by a foreign player, the most goals for one club and the most hat-tricks. I'm so happy for the, the record, but thank my, my teammate because uh, they helped me uh, in this nine year, so I'm, I'm so happy. When I scored the second, and then I think one more, I break the record, the hat trick, no? That's so, right, yeah. So, uh, nah, I, I want to keep uh, scoring more goals, but all depend my my teammate. And all of that was after becoming City's all-time leading scorer. That was in November 2017 when he scored his 178th goal. He overtook Eric Brook. That was in a 4-2 win over Napoli, and he spoke to City TV afterwards. I'm very happy for, for this moment. So. Now is I'm very happy because to win. I'm very happy for my my teammate because uh, they help to me uh, every game and the support uh, and the staff. So my family in Argentina and my friends. So. I'm very happy for, for this moment. Huh? It's not all been plain sailing though. There was speculation he may never get the chance to reach that landmark. That was back in 2016. When Pep Guardiola arrived, there was tension as Aguero was occasionally left out of the team. The new manager wanted more from the striker, but always insisted it wasn't the beginning of the end for the Argentinian. I appreciate like a football player. I appreciate like a man what he did here. And the next time before you give that opinion you can call me before you decide he's not in my plans you can call me before you write if he's in my plans or not my plans aguero changed his style of play and city reaped the rewards as they hit 100 points in 2018 and 98 points in 2019 along with winning a whole host of cups too but the striker was getting headlines away from the pitch as well in August, he stood up for the City fans that were manhandled by police after being forced onto the pitch at Bournemouth. Zach Weir was arrested and charged, but the case against him was dropped after CCTV footage showed a surge behind him pushed him onto the field. He explains how Aguero helped. I remonstrating, almost got himself in, in trouble with the police because the steward made an accusation. I think I was thrown out pretty much straight away. But obviously his involvement prompted a lot of support uh, on social media, which was a great help to constantly receive that support was great so obviously I can't thank him enough. Um, I sent him a message last week which obviously he saw and then he replied to me which was nice. What did he say? He just I sent him a message, um, I did I did Spanish at Erdl, so I was able to speak a little bit about that to him. Uh, just to maybe a bit, bit more personal to him in Spanish rather than English and uh, he replied just saying thank you and my Spanish is great but I'm not too sure about that. <laughs> it was that 2017-18 season where he was also involved in a car crash when his taxi hit a lamppost in the Netherlands. That was after going to a concert on his day off. Accidents, as you say, can happen anywhere. What, what is your view on 
where he was at the time? Did he have the, the club's permission to... to day, day off, I'm not the police. Even from the beginning, it was always clear that Aguero understood what it meant to be a City fan too. It was difficult not to warm to his cheekiness, as this Puma interview in 2017 showed. Name one current Manchester United player you'd have at Manchester City. I, I prefer no. <laughs> yeah. No. I prefer none. I prefer none. No one. No. His talents and his persona weren't limited to the pitch, though. A few years later, while out injured, he went big as a Twitch streamer. It's in Spanish, but here's what happened when he scored a golden goal winner in the game Fall Guys. He was gaming because of a knee injury, and it was that knee injury that ultimately has done for Aguero at City. He's barely played this season after suffering regular flare-ups, plus a spell sidelined with the coronavirus. After Sunday's win over Everton, where Aguero scored twice from the bench just like his debut, Guardiola couldn't hold back the emotion. We lost him so much. He's a... He's a special person for all of us. You're not having second thoughts, are you, Pep? It's so nice, it's so nice. Is it because of the human being as, as well as the footballer? Yeah, he helped me a lot. That's... It, it's been the challenge for you. You've had to do it replacing totems of this football club. We, cannot, we cannot replace him. We cannot. There wasn't a dry eye in the house when Aguero said his goodbyes to the Etihad a few minutes later. As the last of the team from 2012 to leave City, it really is the end of an era. Is he the best that the Premier League has ever seen? Well, we'll leave that for others to decide. But he's definitely the greatest centre-forward in Manchester City history for us, and he's left a lasting impression. is the Blue Moon Podcast. That is uh, a look at Sergio Aguero's time at City, and uh, that brings us to uh, the conclusion. It's the end of an era. Um, Richard, this this 2012 team, now that it's uh, now that it's been done, dusted, they've all they've all moved on. Um, what does it mean to you? Well, Chris, um, Chris said something right at the start. I think in the the first answer that he gave um, on this show that. Watching players move on, I think Chris described it as making you consider your own mortality. And I th- there's definitely something in that because I've sort of been thinking, like, I remember vividly, as I'm sure we all do, and a hell of a lot of people listening to this will do, I remember him coming on for his debut and being really excited that we'd signed him. Um, I can't say I'd seen a lot of him, but I knew of him. I knew that he was this really highly rated striker, and it was a you know it was like it was a sexy signing for City to make to bring in Aguero. Um, and I remember walking away from the Etihad with my dad and one of my best mates and my cousin after that Swansea game, just thinking like. You don't want to judge too much off half an hour, but we've, we appear to have something really special, and sort of the, the sky might be the limit. Um, and looking back at like where I was at that time and, and things that have gone on since then, and I'd like that's nothing like tragic. Things have been pretty good, but just thinking back to where I was, what has happened, 
um, the things that you don't necessarily take stock of day to day. I think if you're a football fan and, and something like this happens, you watch one of your, you know, let's have it right, one of your heroes leave, um, it does put you in that place and, um, yeah, it just make, makes you consider things. So um, I had the, the great privilege of being at the Etihad on, on Sunday. I was one of the lucky ones. And... Um, Fortunately, I think somebody behind me at about 7pm started chopping onions because it, it coincided <laughs> nicely with, uh, with, with my eyes starting to sting a little bit. Because, um, yeah, you just remember it and you, you think back over the moments that he's given you. And up until, I'd say, like, fairly recently in my life, that goal against QPR was the best moment of it. And, like, if you're not a football fan, you can probably never understand somebody saying something like that. But it was, and, and how many people in your life give give you something that is at any point the best moment of it and and yeah. even now as my life has moved on and I'm married and I've got a son and and that's better than football let me tell you but it's um it's still a moment that I will cling to for the rest of my life as, as an entirely unique feeling and um yeah, so, so in short, Mooney, that's what it made me think about. Fair <laughs> enough. Uh, Chris, the, the, the thing is, um, as that, that 2012 team has moved on, um, I, I almost I want to say it'll never be the same without them, but it'll, it, they'll still be success. It'll just be different, will it, I guess? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, plus I change, it's like... It's yeah. It's never going to be the same. It does. It's it's the same. It's different. It's 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 just life, isn't it? And you know, the thing is with Aguero. Uh, I don't, there was you know the banners at the stadium on that that last game when he when he scored those um, amazing like ridiculously like just proved that he's still like the quintessential striker. There was a banner there that read, um, you changed our lives. And I don't know, that he actually he actually has done that for a lot of people, the ripple yeah. effect that that man has had in just being good at what he does, in effect, just doing his job. But it's, it's football, isn't it? So it's completely different. It's not just doing his job. He's come in, he's given the whole of the blue half of the city just... A different perspective on life. It's like it's quite. I don't know. It's quite emotional to to, to talk about Aguero, really, because just never going to see anything like that again. Yeah, Dan. Um, the final question of the show comes to you because uh, you obviously you said at the start of the show you moved to Germany when um, when these players started leaving, basically. Uh, so mm. these are the last set of, of of players that you saw collectively as a as a city team week in week out. Um, how how does it feel? kind of watching all this happen from afar yeah I thought about it like that actually yeah um yeah it's it's not it's, it's not been easy I guess yeah I mean uh, I think I think that 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 title winning team that 2012 title winning team and, and the sort of trophies that came after that that group of players will always mean so much more to us than than any other group of players that comes after them could because they were our sort of first love it's the same way that Roberto Mancini um, I think will always mean more to us than, than Guardiola does to be honest because he was the, the man that brought joy to our lives again wasn't he he was the man that brought success to the club for the first time in, in a generation and you know I've got uh, Liverpool supporting United supporting mates who were taking the piss out of us a little bit about these putting these statues up outside the stadium and saying, oh, they're not legends. There's, you know, they're only just finished playing kind of thing. And it's like, well, why not? Why can't we celebrate them? Why can't we 
be proud of the fact that we've we've witnessed the greatest era in the club's history over the past ten years, um, and we were there to see it, and we've 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 watched this club transform before our very eyes. I mean, I, I loved at the end of the Aguero um, segment that they had on the the club's official stream at the weekend. Uh, straight afterwards, they cut back in the studio and they had Kevin Horlock, Paul Dickov, and Andy Morrison sitting there, and it's like those guys are legends as well in their own way. You know, they were my that, my heroes as a child, and 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 the likes of Aguero. Silver Company, Yaya, they've been my heroes as, a, as an adult. And, you know, you, your feelings for these people aren't necessarily that different. But um, for this group of players, given that the fact that they, you know, delivered something that we didn't think was possible from City, we'll, we'll always remember them fondly. Um, and, yeah, it has been quite hard to see them, um, you know, from afar and, and not get to see these players and it is hard to, to, to kind of let go of it all I guess but you know time waits for no man does it life moves on and uh, just be, be thankful for, for what we've, we've, we've enjoyed from these people yeah and there'll be more heroes coming soon I guess yep. that's uh, that's kind of how it all works isn't it and that brings this special episode of the podcast to a close if you've enjoyed the shows this season then please go and give us a rating and a review in all the usual places if you want to support the show further then you can sign up to become a Patreon backer where you'll also get ad free versions of the show each week as well as bonus shows during the season as well just take a look at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast thanks to my guests for today Dan Burke my pleasure Chris Higginbottom thanks for having me and Richard Burns thank you very much for having me David it's been great we're going to have a little bit of a break now but we'll be back in August so see you then that was the Blue Moon Podcast please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast